back to Navigating the Work Compass here on LinkedIn Live, also available on Apple and Google Podcasts. I'm Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary, here with my incredible co-host, Susan Chapman Hughes. Hello, everyone. And Welcome back. Good to have you. And we have a great guest today, someone who I now get to call a friend uh, who I've gotten to know over the last year, Shireen Luz, who is the head of culture and field experience at RBC Wealth Management. But prior to that was the CHRO, the Chief Human Resources Officer. And so this is a little bit of a new role. So Shireen, welcome. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. And this is my first time doing LinkedIn Live. So hopefully, you know, I navigated okay. <laughs> we love it. And we'll remind um, those that are listening live, feel free to put questions or chats in, or questions or comments in the chat and we'll get to them. But Shireen, before we dive into what's happening in the world and certainly for um, women in the workforce, would love to hear a little bit about your background, um, the, the role of the CHRO within RBC, especially during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then not only about the new role as head of culture, but what that actually is and why that was important. Yes, I'll, I'll be as quick as possible. But um, when I look at my kind of my background, it was not like, oh my gosh, when I grow up, I want to be head of culture. I don't know that anybody says that. Um, so I actually was uh, an employment litigator by training. So I spent my my the first half of my career in private law practice and then joined RBC almost 16 years ago in the law group and got to work on employment law matters. Um, and then I was approached to move into employee relations and human resources. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Why would I do this? Um, but thankfully, uh, everyone else was much smarter and much more creative with my career than me. And it turned out being an incredible uh, opportunity to continue to grow. And um, up until last summer, I was the head of HR for RBC U.S. Wealth Management. Um, and what a time to be in that role. Um, as many people uh, on the call I'm sure can experience um, and relate with is, you know, everything you ever thought you knew just flew out the window. Um, and then everything came back crashing at you. I'm a mother, I'm a very old mother of two young kids. Um, and so, <laughs> all right, Susan. Nice. I got one, but I'm with you. Oh, so um, I thought I had it in control. But when my five-year-old was sent home from kindergarten and had never used a laptop before, and he was supposed to do online school while I was managing the craziest part of my professional career, um, I, I had a whole nother thing coming to me. So it has been an incredible experience. Um, one from which I've learned more than I can probably ever actually process. Mm -hmm. But what happened through the course of the pandemic was, you know, I often thought like when you say, oh, I'm from HR, I'm from human resources, people kind of go one of two reactions. They kind of do that. Ugh. <laughs> kind of thing. Or they do, oh no, I didn't do that. Don't, don't come find me. And so what I, what I saw happening from the top of the house at RBC was HR became the key stakeholder at the table, <clears throat> mm -hmm. excuse me, during the pandemic, because 
while employees were always our focus, it became the start of every conversation. So in the course of, you know, the last two years, our CEO, Michael Armstrong, thought we need a role dedicated to just focusing on how do we maintain our culture and how do we put the employee experience at the forefront and not in human resources where it's always a side of desk issue where it's, you know, under resource, but in the business sitting in the C-suite. And so that's what they did. And so it's been this incredible experience um, where I've taken my favorite parts of all of the roles I've had in my career and I get to do them all day, every day. And it's challenging and it's exciting, but it's also, I think, the perfect time. And I think any company that is going to survive this this challenge that is ongoing has to put people first and has to lead with that employee first mentality. And I get to focus on that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing. And, you know, there's so many companies that are just really struggling with culture today. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it coming out and, you know, their employees blasting them on Twitter or just uh, various ways that that's happening. Can you talk more about like, what exactly is your job, right? Yeah. <laughs> you show up and you say, hey, look, I'm the head of culture for this organization. And people across the organization are like, well, that's cute. But what is that? <laughs> and more importantly, how are you going to help me? <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. So I work in a broker dealer. So not only is it financial services, but it's a broker dealer. So it is very much the, what have you done for me lately? You know, what are the numbers? What's, you know, quantifiable? So I do get that reaction. Like, what exactly do you do? Um, And I get it. So what I share with people is culture is something different to everyone. But We have our RBC wealth management values and mission. And then we have what everyone experiences on a daily basis. And what I get to do is I get to find programs, initiatives, sponsorships that enhance the employee experience and enhance the culture. So we often hear from our employees and people who join us, like I joined because of the culture, Mm. like, yes, we're a financial services company, but we're, we're more of a small firm feel more of that family feel, but we're growing and we're in a pandemic. So how do you keep that culture and how do you enhance it? So I have the opportunity where I work with local leaders. So we have 200 locations across the U S So while culture needs to be consistent, it also needs to have a local flavor because, Mm -hmm. you know, the vibe in Texas is different than the vibe in New York, but we need to have a consistent culture and a consistent experience, but recognize that it means something different to different people. And it also means we really have to empower our local leaders. So how are our leaders navigating? So we have employees like, I don't want to come back to the office. I want to come back to the office. I'm terrified to come back. I can't wait to come back. I want to wear a mask. Don't want to wear a mask. I mean, (laughs) I'm, I really liked being at home. I got used to this. I don't want to come back. How can I be productive? So helping them on an individual level, navigate that so that they can support their employees. Cause something I am such a believer in is good companies don't support the employee. They support 
every aspect of the employee's lives. Mm. So it's not just nine to five. It's that holistic, multidimensional. Like I am a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister. Like how are we knitting together benefits and programs to support all of those aspects? Um, and I think that is the silver lining of the pandemic is all of that got pushed to the forefront. Like we saw the kids in the background, we saw the elderly parent. And so we need to keep that discussion going. We don't hide those lives when we go back into the office. And so I get to work with leaders on a daily basis on what works in your office. I get to work more broadly on what programs do we need? Like you know, whether it's milk store to support nursing mothers as they travel or elder care to support the sandwich generation, um, looking at it from that standpoint or telehealth for mental health. I mean, it's in the media, it's everywhere, but mental health and mental well-being is so much more critical now than it's ever been. Yeah. And we just, we got to talk about it. We got to get it out there and we got to meet people where they're at in the different modes of, you know, whether that's telehealth, it's in the office, whatever it is. Shireen, when you think about this role, because Susan and I have been doing this now every week for I don't know how long, Susan, and so much of what we're hearing from a lot of companies is, well, so much of this just takes time. And one of the analogies that was given to me that I'm now using is, well, in March of 2020, the whole world had to go online. Every company had to go online and everyone did it within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. right? So as you think about this role, was this something that came out of really listening to employees around really building that role of, of, of head of culture? Or was this being thought of before the pandemic? So culture was something that we focused on before. Okay. But we, I think a lot of us in the business thought of it as something in HR that HR was responsible for, mm. but it isn't. It's something that's owned by the business. It has to be owned by the business and it has to be something that we focus on holistically. Again, not as part of, you know, the 15 things that you're doing, whether it's org design or, you know, yeah. when I think back to head of HR role, like, yes, culture is huge, but I'm doing 700 things. One piece of it, one sliver of it is focused on culture and building it. So now we have this business oriented, dedicated role to focus time on it. So we were working on it before, but the pandemic really showed us like it's now and we need to do it. And to your point, like we don't, this takes time. That doesn't work. That's not an okay answer. Um, employees don't have time. Yeah. We don't have time to try and navigate all the things that are coming at us. And if you as a company are like, mm, let's see, you're losing them. You're either not getting them in the door to start with, or you're losing the ones you do have. The The war on talent is so huge, as everyone knows. Um, and it's really, you've got to act fast. And even, you know, the adage of fail fast, you got to fail fast. We've done stuff, just didn't work. So move on, keep going. But we don't have time. You know, Shireen, um, you talk about this whole thing around war on talent. Everybody's mm -hmm. talking about it. Um, but we also know that managers in particular will focus on things that they get paid for. 
yep. and focus on things that they're you're measured on. And so when mm-hmm. you like think about a your role, like what are you measured on? What does success look like for you? And then how do you push that across the organization to make sure that people are accountable? Great question. And culture is commercial and it's measurable. And what one of the first things that I did when I stepped into this role, you know, nine months ago was I created a dashboard because what speaks to the business, what speaks to the leaders are the numbers. And to your point, Susan, like, what do you get compensated for? So in our field network, so our 200 branches, there are financial metrics. So it's, you know, assets under management, it's recruiting TTMP, it's all of these metrics. So I created culture metrics. So I took our employee opinion survey results. I took our diversity numbers for each of those locations. I took our attrition and retention numbers and created a culture score. And what I then did was compared the culture score with the financial score. And not surprisingly, though somewhat to my relief, because I was like, oh, this better prove out. But those that had the highest culture score had the highest financial score. So I was able to go out and say, you know what? Those at the top with culture scores perform 25% better than those at the bottom. What product, what tool can we put out there that is going to increase our productivity by 25%? None except culture. So being able to say, here's what's measurable, because that's the thing. It sounds fluffy and nebulous. And it is in a lot of ways because it is something different, but there are ways to measure it that can be meaningful to the business. And so, you know, then it's creating the action items of how then do you change those numbers? And so that's where kind of the broader cultural umbrella comes. It's, you know, the diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's, um, you know, our workplace benefits. It's our flexibility. It's all of those pillars underneath it. But being able to tell that story so that then I can say, here's how we measure it. And here's your accountability to it. And oh, by the way, you'll get paid on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's fascinating, right? Because so many um, leaders, particularly in financial services, have been raised to be um, what I call IQ leaders, like all about the numbers, numbers, numbers. But, you know, they, they haven't been developed on kind of the EQ scale, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so the best leaders, as you've just illustrated, are the ones who can bring that very strong level of EQ and IQ together to drive the business. I, I wonder if you, for the people who had low scores and who's kind of like saw the numbers and they saw it, like, what was their reaction? <laughs> I love it. So it caused this huge, I, the first time I shared the, the dashboard comparison was at an all field leader forum. And so there are about 300 of us in an auditorium and I put up this slide and all of a sudden I see a bunch of phones go up and they're taking pictures. (laughs) Now, when does that ever happen when somebody in my field is presenting? It doesn't, right? So all these phones come out and then afterwards, so I do the presentation, I walk them through it and then there were a line of people where did you get those numbers? How did you measure this? When was this taken? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just such a 
it resonated in such a way and they cared. And I shared it again last week in a different forum. And I had several people come up to me and say, I think I know what the issue is in this location. I think I know what it is in that location. And so I'm getting the the qualitative information, which is the step I'm in now. So I did the quantitative and now it's finding out what are they doing in those locations where it's going really well? What, what are the characteristics of that leader and that environment? And how can we leverage that in some of the locations that are, are having more challenges? But they're all over it because you're speaking their language. And to your point, financial services, it's numbers, 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 yeah. it's product, it's production. It's, you know, so to be able to boil it down to that really it was their language. Um, and so they're, they're all over it. They want all the detail. They want the background data. <laughs> so how, how then Shireen, so you take that as those leaders, right? Cause that's, that's that, that level. And I remember in my financial days, you'd get your like employee scores Yes, and it was all anonymous. And then do the things you had to work on and maybe you had to sit down with your manager about some of those things. Um, uh, how does that actually then get to the teams, right? Around if it, if they're in a very positive versus mm-hmm. they, they have some we call opportunities for development. How does it then go from I'm the leader and this is my score to then you know ha- within that office or in that field location? In it's the same way we roll out those employee opinion survey results. So. We, we feel it's incumbent upon the leaders. We train them up to roll out that information on an individual basis. And that's where we go back to that local leadership because, you know, what you do with it makes the difference and nothing like this is a piece of this kind of work that has always driven me crazy is you do it and then nothing happens. So you do the EOS scores and you have an action plan meeting and then nothing happens. So one of the luxuries I have being in this full time is this isn't a one and done. This isn't a hear your scores, fix it. It's I'm on you. Mm -hmm. I'm partnering with you, the accountability, but also the support. So it's, it's helping lead them. And it's not one meeting. It's a series of development discussions, opportunity discussions. And so it, it is labor intensive, which is why, it, it needs kind of its own group to be able to do this, but this is what's going to make the difference. And it's going to make a difference financially, but most importantly, make it a difference for those employees that are in locations that where those score, scores are lower. Why are they lower? What can we do? You know, Shireen, so as I hear you talking, I, I love this, right? I think it's actually the future of businesses that are going to be successful. Um, but uh, I'd love to know what your team looks like and how did you talk them into joining you <laughs> on this team and what does that look like in terms of career progression for them? Yes. Yeah. Great question. So I inherited a team. So the role I have now was a role that was vacated, looks nothing like my role and it was repurposed. So I fortunately inherited um, a fantastic team The team, though, had very broad mandates or job descriptions. So what I did, and I'll use one team member in particular um, because I think it's a good illustration. So she she has a job description that's, you know, general project management. Okay, so 
I having the HR background, I, I come in and, you know, I don't know how many leaders do this, probably not enough, but I, I pulled the job description and I was like, huh, this doesn't really say anything. So I sat down with her and I said, tell me what you do. How do you spend your day? And then how do you want to spend your day? Mm-hmm. And we crafted a job description that is the first step in a career path because I have the flexibility that this is a new group. That's a new role that we can map it as we go. So we crafted the job description after mine, but at a more junior level. And then the next step is the next level. And so the role can grow with this individual. She's incredibly talented. She's really passionate. And so I get to kind of be there to say, hey, nice job. Now you're here. And we just keep growing it. Um, One of the bigger challenges is culture can be everything. And so how do you figure out where you focus? And I have wonderful partners in the DNI space. I have wonderful partners in recruiting. I have wonderful partners in HR. So having come from that world, I know those groups. And so I fortunately have relationships with them. So we have to figure out who does what, because again, there's overlap everywhere, but we all have the same goals. So how do we just work together to get there um, and help develop our people in the process? And so it's really getting to work with a lot of different groups, um, but I also inherited an incredible group, but we're really just taking a look at the job descriptions and saying, okay, where are we and where are we going to be? And so it's been fun, even in just the last nine months to see this individual I was referencing, to see her growth. It's just awesome. Like to just say, hey, you take this and run with it. And she's incredible. I mean, incredible. Shireen, you, I, one of the things that, um, and we hear the word culture thrown out a lot, right? I have, I'm building a great culture. My comp- I mean, you can pick up Inc. Magazine or any of these and culture is a lead article in any of them. How do you convert or how are you converting those that are the, I would say, I don't want to call them non-believers, but maybe those that are at the lower end of the scores or mm-hmm. just are sort of like, listen, I got results. I have to perform. My team has to manage to numbers, which again is a lot of what people say that we're hearing with our corporate partners. Like I don't have time. I've got, I've got to deliver. So how do you work on through this, this role and, and, and to, to convert those? It's it's such a good question. And um, I'm going to give you the lawyer answer, which is it depends. Um, (laughs) And I use a lot of the same approach that I used to in my old roles, which is you meet them where they're at. So what is the obstacle? Are they saying it's I've got these, you know, production requirements I need to meet or these recruiting requirements? You know, we got to bring in all of these advisors. And then there's data to support all of it. Um, I can tell you, here's what the difference is in productivity for engaged employees and their client service, if that's the issue. Or here's, you know, the 25% improvement in your financial scores based on employee engagement. So if they're focused on the numbers and focused on the the obstacles, it's working with them to remove those obstacles. And it's different. Like I can't just go carte blanche and I have to listen. And a lot of times when somebody from, 
you know, my background and my world comes to someone, they do their, you know, the peanuts parents. And so (laughs) I just, I need to reflect what I hear them saying and I need to listen. Um, It is, it's listening to them and understanding and recognizing that they're running a business first and foremost. So starting from that point of you're running a business, this isn't easy. And I know you've got 500 demands on your time. What is your biggest challenge on a daily basis? And just trying to work with them, but also reflect, hey, I get it. I'm not just coming in from corporate with no clue about what you're trying to navigate. Yeah. You know, um, I, 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 we're getting close to time. So I just, it's always like how it works, right? We go <laughs> and then like roll it. I, I have two, two, one question and then one ask for advice. So the, the question is, is like, when, when you all made the decision to create this role for you, how, how did that look like in the C-suite, right? Like what, what was that conversation like? Uh, and then, then the second um, ask is we always like to give advice to our listeners. We have mm-hmm. both for employing and employers. Uh, and so I'd love for you to just say, hey, look, if, if I were you and I'm giving you advice, this is the journey that we'd love to, you know, that I would advise you to take, but start with the, what was the C-suite conversation like? And cause I'm sure there was somebody who was like, mm, I don't know about that. Yes. More than, more than one. Um, and again, it, it's throughout the organization, but of course we started with the C-suite first and it helps that it came from the CEO and it was his idea that this role be created um, because he is a numbers guy. So for him to say, this is where we need to be. And I, we also had the luxury of the, if you can use that word, luxury of the timing of the pandemic where everybody started talking about it and people recognized that this was an important or is an important topic. So I think the timing was, was good from that standpoint. And then also it came from the top of the house, which, you know, time and time again, like you can't push the boulder uphill. If you got somebody pushing from the top, it's much faster. So um, that really helped. As far as the the personal advice and the action items, I was talking to someone uh, yesterday and she wanted my advice and it was career advice. And she's trying to figure out kind of what her next move is. And she was saying, oh, well, you know, this role sounds really good, but, you know, it's hybrid or it's this or it's that. And but I like this role. And, you know, here's something that I learned so late and I wish I had done it earlier is don't go in assuming you can't have it go in assuming it's yours. So when I stepped into this role, I had worked um, a schedule that I navigated with my husband where I did, uh, I started work early in the morning and I was done at four. And he started later and got the kids off and then finished later. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I can't walk out, you know, at four (laughs) o'clock every day, la la la. And I got great advice. And so at my first meeting with him, I was so nervous. And I just said, so here's how I've navigated my schedule. This is what I do. I work from home. This was pre-pandemic. So this was, you know, scandalous. I work from home on Fridays and I started about six and then I finished by four. And I thought, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? And he said, sounds good. Nothing happens after four anyway. (laughs) But the way I was going to approach it was, well, I could do it this way and I could do it that way. And so my advice is 
if you have something that you want, just say it. Yeah. Don't be passive. Don't hang in the in the background. Just say it and claim it. And not to generalize, but I think men do this so much more often and so much more readily than women do. And we need to do it and just say, you know what? Hybrid doesn't work for me, but here's what does. Yeah. And especially right now, employees have the power. That's right. So use it and use it to get what you need. Use it to get what you want. And as an employer, as a manager, listen, because yeah. you may have to pay more or maybe you have to be a little more flexible than you would like to be. But you have an engaged employee who's loyal now. That's right. And they're going to be your top performer. Love That's it. Right. Well, we have like literally worked our way through these 30 minutes, like really quickly. Um, I'm happy to give you any last words, anything that you really want to share, because this has been really informative and very fantastic. And I really hope that everybody at their company, whether or not you create a role that is dedicated to culture, that you really take the time to figure out who owns it and who's responsible for driving it. But any last words, Shereen, you want to share with us? Uh, sure. So first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for everyone who's listening. Thank you for the opportunity. I have enjoyed it. And I also want to say like, life is messy and I'm a hot mess on a good day, like a hot mess. I don't have anything figured out. I'm just barely scraping by. And I think we as women, we put female leaders on a pedestal, a perfection pedestal. There isn't one. Yep. There's no superwoman. She's fake. So do what you can on a daily basis and and just know that we're all doing our best. And I'm, you know, you can it looks nice and orderly back here, but I am the proverbial duck with smooth on the surface, frantic underwater. So <laughs> well listen, when you're a, a co-member of the OMCs, that would be the Obama's club. You got to do. <laughs> Exactly. All right. <laughs> listen, thank you so much. Thanks everybody for joining. We hope that you, if you can't listen now, that you'll join us on our podcast, which are available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And we will look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Navigating the Work Compass. We talk about issues of the day and we want to hear your thoughts. So thanks again and have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank thanks, Shereen, so much. Thank Shereen. you.